I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. We started a series last Sunday morning on uh, steps to answered prayer. This is taken specifically from Brother Hagin's teaching. He's the first one that I ever heard teach it. I heard it back in uh, the fall of 1980. He taught, a, a, there was a prayer seminar, and he taught on steps to answered prayer. He's got seven steps. I've consolidated them to four. That's not to say I've improved on them in any way whatsoever. I've just categorized them in a different way than he did. And I encourage you to get his teaching. Get, he's got a book on, uh, on the subject and uh, also some uh, audio tapes and CDs and MP3s and all that kind of stuff that's available. And I encourage you to get those and uh, study this subject out even further than where we go. John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus is speaking to his disciples He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, I want you to notice, folks, how many times the word you is in verse 7. If you abide in me and if my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. It's a largely unrecognizable truth unrecognized truth among the body of Christ that your prayers getting answered has more to do with you than it does to God. And Jesus is telling us that very simple truth. He's saying that our relationship with him coupled with the word of God abiding in us can and will guarantee an answer to prayer every time. Now notice verse 8. Speaking on the same subject, Jesus said, Herein, or by this, you getting answers to your prayer, in other words, is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Herein is my Father glorified. God is glorified when you get answers to your prayers based on his word. It's uh, it's a hard thing for a lot of people to accept, I think. seems to be anyway. That God wants you to get an answer to prayer more than you want to get an answer to your own prayer. The reason most people reject that is because their idea is, well, if God wants me to have something, then he'll just see to it that it comes. But I want to draw your attention to another verse of scripture over in James chapter 5 and verse 16. The last part of the verse says this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, he's talking about prayer talking about the prayer of the righteous. The righteous are those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then it's just talking about you. This is what your prayer life should look like. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The uh, amplified version of that verse of Scripture, instead of saying avails much, says makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. In other words, it's saying the people of God should be effective in their prayer lives. Effectual means effective. Fervent means heartfelt. The Bible is saying that God's plan is for your prayer life to be effective and from the heart. But that indicates to us that if we can be effective in our prayer life, then we can also be ineffective. The effectual or effective, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man avails much. Too much prayer in the, in the body of Christ is ineffective. And the reason for that is because we haven't recognized what the rules are that govern different types of prayer. 
And there are different types of prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says praying always with all prayer. Other translations say all kinds of prayer or all manner of prayer. God wants your prayer life to be very diverse, including different types of prayer as defined by the Scripture. Well, if there are different kinds of prayer, then it stands to reason that there would be different different rules or elements or characteristics that govern those different kinds of prayer. Otherwise, what would make one prayer different from another? If not the rules of prayer, the rules that govern those types of prayer. So Jesus is talking about, in John 15, one specific type of prayer. He's not talking about all prayer. He's talking about one specific type of prayer. Now, what kind of prayer is that? Well, it must be the prayer that receives from God. James chapter 1 tells us, about the prayer that receives from God. He said, but let him ask in faith. He starts off talking about receiving wisdom, but then he shows us the principle that you receive anything from God. He said, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave, he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. He said, let not that man, the man that doesn't ask in faith, the man that wavers, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. But if we put those scriptures together, then what Jesus is saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. He's got to be talking about the prayer of faith because it's the prayer that receives from God. So these seven steps, Brother Hagin's seven steps, my four steps to answer prayer, if they're followed diligently, will bring an answer every time. Now, folks, I want to hammer this home. I want to say it in several different ways so that you make sure to get it because it's important for you to realize that God wants your prayer life to be so effective that you get answers every time. Prayer is never has been, was never designed, is not designed to be a hit and miss operation. Prayer is designed to work every time. How many prayers do you think Jesus had that went unanswered? Well, it would be blasphemous to think that he didn't get an answer to every prayer that he prayed. Well, what makes the difference between Jesus and us? We have the same relationship with God, according to the scripture that Jesus had. We have the same capability or potential for the word to abide in us as he had, and it did. So what would be the difference? Well, the only difference between us and him might be, and this is certainly something we could overcome as well, But it might be that he understood the rules that govern prayer where we don't. But if we give ourselves to understanding those same rules as he did, then we can expect the same success in our prayer life as he had in his. And that's exactly what he's telling us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. I love verse 8. Herein is my father glorified. God is glorified when you get answers to your prayers. So step number one, we talked about this some last week. We'll cover, summarize it, and then go a little bit further. Step number one is to prepare yourself to pray. Or uh, we could say it this way, prepare yourself to, to receive. How do you do that? Number one, decide what you want from God. Decide what you want from God. Then the next part of that is find the scriptures that promise you those things. 
The next part of it is get those scriptures firmly fixed in your heart and not just in your mind for the purpose of being ready to use those scriptures against the devil and demons that will try to make you doubt God's word. Now, that's how you prepare to pray. I think a lot of times people make mistakes because they pray too quickly. Now, there are some emergencies that arise that you have to pray immediately, but most things can wait for a little while. And in our haste, I think a lot of times we pray before we've adequately prepared ourselves with the scriptures to base our prayers on. I know what, uh, that I learned this way from Brother Hagin, and it served me well over the years. I'll take time to take the scriptures, scriptures I might even be familiar with and be able to quote on a certain subject. But I'll take time to meditate on all those scriptures, every one of them that covers the subject or pertains to the subject in the scripture or in the Bible. I'll meditate on those scriptures for a couple of days before I'll even pray. And what that does is it provides a sure foundation for prayer. You need to realize that God's word is his revealed will. So it does away with any possibility of wondering if it's the will of God. So many times people pray in the church world. They're praying and ending every prayer with, Lord, if it be your will. It's impossible to pray the prayer of faith with the statement or the phrase, if it be your will. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. You cannot believe God beyond actual knowledge. Well, where do we gain that knowledge from? From the word of God, from the scriptures that promise us the things that we desire. Decide what you want from God. Now, again, notice all the times that the Bible says you in verse 7 of John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. It's talking about you praying for your desires, praying the desires or your own desires for yourself. This won't work in every case praying for somebody else. Because, see, sometimes your desires for them are different than their desires for themselves. See, folks, if the prayer of faith worked in every case, in every, case, in every situation concerning the other guy, I could just pray in faith that every one of you here would give me $1,000 today before you leave. Well, I know that sounds funny, but let's think it through. Some of you don't have $1,000 to give. And my prayer of faith wouldn't change your, the, money, the amount of money you have available to you. And others of you may be sitting there thinking, well, I like Pastor Mike okay, or, all right, but not $1,000 worth. Well, my prayer of faith wouldn't change your will or your willingness to do what I wanted you to do. If that were the case, if it did change your desire and change your willingness to do something, that'd be like witchcraft. And see, that's what a lot of people are doing, thinking they're operating in faith. When I was in Bible school, there was a guy that uh, I was, first of all, moving from Alabama to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma, if you've never been there, there's no reason to go. <laughs> it's the flattest place you've ever seen in your life. After being there for a while, I heard of the hills of Tulsa. And so I wanted to see what those were, and they're literally a bump in the road. <laughs> and so the wind comes through there in the winter, and it'll just just cut right through you. They rarely get any snow, but they get a lot of uh, a lot of ice, ice storms, and stuff like that. 
Well, as a result, one of Brother Hagin's board members uh, bought for the ministry a Bronco, a red Bronco. One of these four-wheel drive things so that he could drive safely on the ice and stuff going back and forth, you know, in town and, and that type of thing. Well, there was a guy in, uh, in uh, school. He wasn't, I say in school, he was around the school. He wasn't enrolled, wasn't a student. But he'd come to the services and hung around the lot. He decided that he was going to believe God for Brother Hagin to give him his red Bronco. Now, I'd like to tell you that that was a simple thing that we were able to talk to him and talk him out of it. But this guy stayed on this thing for over a year. And it became an absolute nuisance. Because everywhere he went, or every time he showed up at the, at the thing, he'd do everything he could to get next to Brother Hagin to give him a chance to give him the keys. Because he was just convinced. He had convinced himself. That because he, was, he had prayed in faith, Brother Hagin was going to give him his red bronco. Well, I was part of a meeting where Brother Hagin sat him down and said, Look, I'm not giving you my red bronco. I don't want to give you my bronco. I refuse to give you my bronco. Your faith can't change what I want to do. And it, became a, it just became a real headache, real hassle. I, I don't know really what happened to the guy. He left, uh, left town after a while. But it became almost a, a threatening situation finally before he left. And I think that had something to do with him leaving. They had to get the police involved and police talk to him and that type of stuff. But he was just convinced. He was just convinced that if he believed God enough that it would change what Brother Hagin wanted to do. Folks, your faith won't change somebody else's will. The Bible talks about God operating by faith. He speaks to things that are not as though they were. Well, if anybody was going to change somebody's will, it would be God, wouldn't it? I mean, why wouldn't God change everybody's will to get saved? He operates by faith. The Bible talks about the faith of God. Why doesn't he do that? Because he gave man a free will and choice to do what he wants to do. So this prayer of faith will work for you concerning your desires, but not concerning the other guys. So decide what you want from God and find scripture that promises you those things. And get those scriptures firmly fixed in your heart. Now we looked at last week, we looked at Joshua 1.8, where God speaks to Joshua, who's the new leader of the children of Israel. He's taken Moses' place, which would be a pretty hard job to, to take over. I mean, Moses talked face-to-face with God, and there were a lot of spectacular things that happened. But God told Joshua, I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. Now, that would be good news to me if I was Joshua. And most people, I think, would take the position that once God said that, they can just lean back and relax because God's promised to be with them and to see them through. And no man will be able to stand before you as the... We're not able to stand before Moses, so will they not be able to stand before you? God made some great promises to Joshua. But then he told him this. He said, this book of the law, which represented the word of God, that's all they had of the word of God. So we'll say it that way. This book of the law or this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. 
that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then, after you meditate, now meditating in the word means one simple thing, and that is speaking the word. The word not departing from before your mouth means you keep saying it. So it's not some Eastern religion meditation that some people have the idea about where you empty your mind and make yourself a channel for some goofy thing. Meditating as far as the Bible definition is concerned is speaking the word of God, saying God's word to yourself again and again and again. That's what puts it on the inside of you. That's what writes it on the table of your heart. So God told Joshua, I'm going to be with you. You'll be successful. You'll bring the people of Israel into the promised land. But here's what you're going to need to do. Notice he still gave him a responsibility to his word. This word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night for the purpose of observing to do according to all that's written therein. Now, the last part of the verse is really interesting because God says, for then, after speaking the word of God, after putting it in your heart, making it a part of you, the real you, the man on the inside, for then you shall make your way prosperous. And you shall have good success. God doesn't even say he'll make him prosperous. He doesn't even say I'll make you successful. He says you make your way prosperous and you determine your own success based on your relationship or your diligence to put the word of God in your heart. I wonder if Jesus is talking about the same thing when he speaks of the word abiding in you. Well, of course he is. So if you're going to be successful in your prayer life, you're going to have to pray based on the word of God. If you're going to be successful in receiving from God the things that you desire, you're going to have to find the promises of God that correspond to the things that you want. Now that does away with the idea of if it be thy will, because God's word is his will. And once you find the scripture that promises you the things that you want, you've identified what God's will is concerning your situation. As you get those scriptures firmly fixed in your heart and not just in your mind. Then you become established. Have a strong and firm foundation. On the reality of what God wills for you in your life. Now after having done these things and prepared to use these scriptures against the devil. Because he'll come after you. He'll leave you alone while you pray. But as soon as your prayer is over he'll come after you hot and heavy. After you've prepared to use these scriptures against the devil when he comes, now you're ready to pray. That brings us to step number two. Now, you've got to follow these things in order or in the sequence that they're given. They're like parts of a combination to a safe. It's not enough just to know what the numbers are. You've got to know what the sequence is for the numbers to be used. So step number one is to make the word of God a part of your heart. Decide what you want and find the word of God on it. Step number two, now that you've done what step number one has instructed, you're ready to pray. So step number two is ask God for what you want and believe that you receive it. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Since we know this is the prayer of faith, Jesus identifies what the prayer of faith looks like. Mark chapter 11 tells us the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. One day and the next morning they come by, 
that place again and the fig tree is dried up from the roots. The disciples call it to Jesus' attention and Jesus answers and describes the subject of faith. He says, have faith in God. Verse 22, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now verse 24, he's talking about prayer. Notice verse 23 doesn't say anything about praying. Verse 24 does. We know he's talking about faith because he identifies this being the principle of faith. So he says in verse 24, therefore I say unto you, because faith works this way, believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, meaning the things that you desire, and you shall have them, meaning the things that you desire. So ask God for the things that you want, that you found scriptures that promise you, and cover your case. Ask God for the things that you want, and when you pray, while you're praying, believe that you receive them. Now, folks, this is the, the, the issue for thousands of years that separates the receivers from those that wonder why it doesn't work. And the issue is very simple. It's very clear cut, but it's much misunderstood. And that is the prayer of faith believes that it receives when it prays. So many times people will misquote this verse or they'll say that they're acting on this verse and then they'll say something like, well, I'm believing God. I'm standing in faith and I believe I'm going to receive. Do you notice that's not what it says? It doesn't say a word about believing you're going to receive. It says, believe that you receive them when you pray. The word when is in there for a reason. When you pray, believe that you receive them. And you shall have them, meaning the desires. Now, we usually pray about things one at a time. For example, if you desire to receive healing, then you believe you receive healing when you pray. And you shall have healing. If it's finances, then we believe that we receive finances when we pray. And the Bible says that we shall have finances. So when do you believe you receive before you have? When do you have whatever you desire after you believe you receive? Now, let me, the Bible gives us a perfect example of this. Perfect example of this. Notice in John chapter 20, it tells us the story of somebody that believes according to what they can see and feel. Which, unfortunately, is where too many people are at. You'll pray for people to receive their healing. And they'll say, well, I didn't get it. How do you know? Well, because my situation hadn't changed. That's not the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith believes that it receives and expects God to make good on the having part. John chapter 20, it tells us about, uh, in verse 19, it tells us about Jesus appearing to the disciples, breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Ghost. But notice in verse 24, it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. 
The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So what's he going to believe according to? What he can see and feel. After eight days again, the disciples were within, and Thomas was with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas. It indicates that Jesus' first and immediate response was to turn to Thomas and deal with his situation. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither your finger and behold my hands. Now the word behold is the same word uh, see in verse 25. So he says, reach hither your finger and behold or see my hands and reach hither your hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. I want you to notice what he says. Jesus defines the position of believing according to what you can see and feel as being faithless. Jesus says, Thomas is faithless. For as long as he's saying, I won't believe unless I can see his hands, the nail hole in his hands and thrust my hand into where that spear cut into his side. Jesus says that's faithless or without faith. Why? Because faith believes according to what was spoken. It believes according to the word of God and not according to what it sees and feels. Now Jesus goes on or uh, Thomas responds first. In verse 28, Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet have believed. Now I want you to notice he didn't say Thomas is blessed in any way whatsoever. He just simply says, because you've seen me, you've believed. Well, that's what Thomas said. Thomas said in verse 25, unless I can see his hands where the nails were driven into his hands, literally his wrists, unless I can put my hand into his side where that spear cut into him, I will not believe. He didn't say he can't. He says, I will not believe. Folks, you need to understand something about faith, and that is it's a choice. I know a lot of times people say, well, I just can't believe. Sure they can't. Well, I just can't believe anything that I can't see. Brother Hagin used to respond this way. Do you believe you've got any brains? <laughs> you ever seen them? See, folks, there are a lot of things in life we believe that we can't see. We believe in gravity. We can't see it. We can see the results of it. We believe that the wind blows outside. Why? Because we can see the wind. No, because we see the leaves on the trees moving. There's a lot of things we believe in that we can't see. Thomas says, except I can see the print of the nail in his hands and thrust my hand into his side, unless I can see something and feel something, I will not believe. And Jesus does not commend his kind of faith. That kind or that type of faith that Thomas is operating on is the kind of believing that comes from the, from the uh, seeing and feeling or comes from the five physical senses. 
Jesus doesn't commend that at all. He doesn't say, good job, Thomas. He says the ones that are blessed are the ones that haven't seen and yet yet believe. Now contrast that with Romans chapter 4. Look with me over to Romans. In the fourth chapter, it tells us about Abraham and his faith. Thomas's faith is based on what he can see and feel. Abraham's faith is based on something else. Beginning in verse 17, speaking of Abraham, it says, I'll pick up in the verse. Well, I'll just start in verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. That's what God had said to him. Before him, another translation I think says better like unto him. It's talking about how Abraham was like unto God in this respect. Like unto him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, we know that Abraham received that which God had promised him. Why did Abraham receive? Well, verse 18 tells you, he believed according to that which was spoken. He believed according to that which was spoken. He didn't believe according to what he could see and feel because what he could see and feel contradicted the word. Now, this is an important point that we need to realize, folks, because some people bless their hearts. They take things and go to extremes with them, just like the guy I was telling you about, believing for Brother Hagin's uh, truck. But you need to realize that we operate in this life, this natural life, in many, many ways according to what we can see and feel. And that's right. That's appropriate. If we're going to cross the street, we need to walk according to what we can see. Wouldn't it be silly just to close your eyes and step out into a big, busy street And believe God to make it to the other side. In like manner. If we get our bank statement. It says we've got a hundred dollars in the bank. It would be foolish. To. By faith. Or any other silly reason. Start writing checks for thousands of dollars. People go to jail for that. And then, of course, they believe God to get them out of jail for doing the stupid thing. Well, believing according to what we can see and feel or operating according to what we can see and feel in this natural realm is a necessity until it contradicts the word of God. Once it contradicts the word of God, then you're going to have to choose. And again, it's a choice. Faith is a choice. Then you're going to have to choose what's more important to you. What are you going to live your life by? What are you going to accept as truth? What you can see and feel? Or what God's word has said? Can you see the difference between Abraham's faith and Thomas's faith? Thomas's faith is based on what he can see and feel. He said, unless I can see the print of the nail in his hand and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, luckily for him, Jesus appeared to him so that he could see and feel. That's not a guarantee for everybody in every situation. I believe that that was for one and one one reason and one reason only. 
And that is Jesus has already prayed. And in his prayer, he said, Father, I have kept those that you've given me. I haven't lost a one except Judas. Of course, that was the fulfillment of scripture. He prays that in John chapter 17. That necessitates that Jesus is going to have to reach Thomas. So that he doesn't lose him. But you need to realize this. If Jesus had not appeared under Thomas, Thomas would not have been saved. Well, why doesn't Jesus appear to everybody like that? Because Jesus is not responsible for keeping everyone. He was responsible for keeping his 12 minus Judas. And I think a lot of times what people are expecting is they're looking for God to show up in some physical way, in some physical form, to make good on what they think is faith. And he's not obligated to do so, folks. In his mercy, he sometimes does. But he's not obligated to do so. There is no promise or guarantee of that. But there is a guarantee. And the guarantee is that if you'll believe according to what he says, according to the word of God, you can receive every time. You can receive every time. Now, some people take Mark chapter 11, verse 24, and they'll say, well, that's not for everybody. Well, the subject of Mark eleven twenty-four is prayer. So that's like saying prayer is not for everybody. Well, if prayer is not for everybody, then we're left with an unhappy dilemma of trying to decide who prayer is for and who prayer is not for. Well, that's silly because we know that prayer is for everybody. We know that the church is directed to pray. So again, it becomes the responsibility of the individual to operate according to the rules of the prayer of faith. To operate effectively according to the rules that govern the prayer of faith and not up to God to make it work no matter what you believe. Are you out there? Brother Hagin tells a story, used to tell a story. I listen to him all the time, so it's like he's still here for me. But he used to tell a story about a guy that he preached for, who's an older minister, pastor. That was, uh, I think he pastored in, in the northern part of Fort Worth, Texas. And he said that he began to, to, uh, to preach for him when he was about 55 years old. And over the next seven years, till he was 72, he preached for him five or six different meetings during that period of time. Some were longer meetings, several weeks long. Others were shorter meetings where he was just filling in for him while he was out of town, that kind of stuff. But when this pastor was 39 years old, he was diagnosed with uh, diabetes. And in those days, of course, you had to check your blood sugar levels through your urine and all that kind of stuff. And Brother Hagen said that he met with him. He was in town, another part of town, preaching in another church, and so they met with him. And during the time of uh, uh, fellowship, had lunch or whatever it was, while they were sitting and talking he said, Brother Hagen, I want you to know I'm 72 years old and I haven't had a shot of insulin for two years. I'm completely healed of sugar diabetes. Well, he had had sugar diabetes from the time he was 39 until he was 69. Now, you know as well as I do that after 30 years, your pancreas isn't going to all of a sudden start producing something after it's been dead 
from the production of insulin for 30 years, under normal circumstances anyway. So Brother Hagin asked him, he said, well, Brother Brown, tell me what happened. How'd this come about? And he answered him. He said, it finally dawned on me what you were preaching. He said, or I really should say it finally dawned on me what Jesus said. He said, see, all the time that you were there preaching about faith, believing that you receive when you pray, I was doing exactly the opposite. I was waiting to see some change in my body before I believed it was real. He said, but one day my eyes were opened. And he said, I saw that the Bible says to do just the opposite. To believe that you receive before you see and feel the difference. He said, so I started taking my insulin shots, continued taking my insulin shots. But he said, I started adding something to it. He said, every day as I'd give myself, check the sugar levels, and then give myself a shot of insulin. He said, every day I would say, I believe I received my healing from sugar diabetes. He said this went on for a matter of years. Certainly from the time that he was 62 to when he was 69. What's that, seven years? So I guess for about seven years he continued to do this. He said that he went to the doctor as a result of an accident, a car accident he had. He was driving a truck. He said a bee got in the truck and the bee got behind his glasses. He wore eyeglasses and so somehow or another the bee got behind the glasses. So he starts slapping at himself, you know. Knocks his glasses off, runs up over the curb and hits a tree. Well, they didn't have airbags and seat belts and all that kind of stuff. So he banged himself up pretty good. So he went to the doctor. Same doctor that he had gone to for his diabetes and stuff. General practitioner. So he goes into the doctor's office. Doctor checks him out. Sees that he didn't do anything except bruise himself pretty badly. And he asked him, he said, are you still taking your insulin? He said, yeah, every day. He said, let's leave it off for a while. He said, your levels are not showing the same thing that they used to. Well, that turned into three years between the time that the accident happened and when Brother Hagen was talking to him. Turned into three years and he never took another shot of insulin. Now, what happened? What happened was very simply this. He started acting according to the rules that governed the prayer of faith. He began to believe that he received his healing before he had his healing. I can tell you people that have done this effectively stand here all day long and tell you about people that got results. And I can tell you about people that thought they were doing the same thing and failed. There was one pastor in Kansas. Some, well, it's been almost 30 years ago now. But he told his congregation, he said, I've been diagnosed with diabetes. I've had this diabetes for a long time, but I'm going to receive by faith. So I'm going to go on this hike, some kind of trek out to the wilderness where he's going to be gone away from civilization for a week or so. He said, I'm not taking my insulin with me. He said, I'm going to believe God or die. Well, guess which one he did? He died. See, that's not faith. Faith is believing you receive and expecting to have your healing. Faith doesn't put demands on God and say it's happening now or else I'm, I'm going to die. 
He died needlessly. He left a wife and three little kids unnecessarily because he's trying to force something that he thinks is faith that really isn't, isn't Bible faith. He's trying to force something to produce results that faith given time would have produced on their own. Now see, some people hear the story about the pastor that died and say that faith stuff doesn't work. Well, if it works, if you operate effectively according to the rules that govern faith. Somebody here on staff was telling me not too long ago that they had gone to the doctor, eye doctor, and the eye doctor said, your cornea is getting thin. So he started making it a matter of prayer and confession. He started believing God for his cornea to thicken. Well, a year later, he went back to the same eye doctor, and the doctor says, your cornea is too thick. (laughs) So he's changed his confession to the right thickness, not just thicker. (laughs) But folks, remember the principle of faith that Jesus identified in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. He said, whosoever shall say unto the mountain. Notice he didn't even say, whosoever shall say unto God. He's talking about talking to the circumstance. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now, what does doubting in your heart mean? Well, we could teach on this forever, but let me just give you a quick definition of it. Doubting in your heart is doing what Thomas did, which is believing according to what you can see and feel. Doubting in your heart is speaking according to the information given by the five physical senses. So Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. We must be talking about believing in the heart. If he's talking about doubting in the heart, then he's got to be talking about believing in the heart. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice he's saying your words will come to pass. Not your words to get instant results. He says your words will come to pass because of the law of faith. Your words will come to pass. Now, folks, that's going to bring us to step number three. I won't get into it this morning, but I'll just tell you what step three is. And that is to keep your heart from doubt. Because this becomes the number one way that the devil will try to attack you. He'll try to make you doubt in your heart to rob you of the things that God has promised you, to rob you of the things that you found in Scripture that covers your situation. And it's perfectly understandable when you understand how faith works that it makes sense that the devil attacks us the way that he does because he knows that if he can't keep you from doubting in your heart, or we'll say it this way, If you continue to believe in your heart that what you say will come to pass, he can't stop you from having what you say. So he's going to work overtime to try to make you doubt. He's going to work overtime to make you look at circumstances. He's going to work overtime to make you aware of your feelings, to to make you aware of thoughts that contradict the word. Anything and everything that will distract you from what God said to make you speak and act 
in line with your five physical senses. He wants to turn you into Thomas's faith, turn you toward Thomas's kind of faith instead of Abraham's kind of faith. Because he knows Thomas's kind of faith doesn't receive. That's the wavering that James talked about. He said, let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. But Abraham's kind of faith, believing according to what was spoken, works every time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We thank you, Lord, for all that Jesus has accomplished for us. And we thank you so much for your word that reveals what he's done for us. We thank you, Father, for who you've made us in Christ Jesus. You have made us the righteousness of God in him. We thank you, Father, that because we're righteous, we have perfect fellowship with you. We thank you that because we're righteous by his blood, not by our own actions, we are candidates to receive anything and everything that he did for us. Because we're righteous, we can walk in divine health. Because we're righteous, we can walk in the abundance of God. Because we're righteous, we can have perfect peace with you. Thank you, Father, that your righteousness shows forth in our lives. Your righteousness shows forth in our prayer lives so that we have what we desire of you. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Well, before we go this morning, we want to receive communion.